So I invite you to turn in God's Word this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Scripture reading this morning is actually going to begin at the 39th verse of Hebrews 10, and then it will be verses 1, 2 of Hebrews chapter 11. So, relatively short passage this morning for us to consider. This evening we'll return to our series on the trees of the Bible as we look at a Aaron's budded staff and the lessons God would have us see in that. Hebrews chapter 10, 39 then. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer again this morning. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word that talks about faith and we pray that by your spirit we would be given a strong faith to believe your word and to believe that all things are in your control, especially at these turbulent times. We pray for that faith and ask your blessing on Pastor Bob as he preaches to us about this and pray that you'd bless him and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we want to look at three things this morning in regards to faith. First of all, the definition of faith that we are given here in our text this morning. Secondly, the origin of faith. Where does faith come from? And then thirdly, faith action. The act of faith. And in particular this morning, we, we want to look at how that is involved in our coming to the table then afterwards and our act of faith today. Throughout the New Testament, various definitions can be found of faith. And we use the word faith in different ways. If we're in the midst of the Gospels, uh, we, we read through the, the various Gospel accounts, uh, which can kind of be summarized when we come to John chapter 20, uh, the end of the text there, verse 31 where John says, these all have been written in order that you might believe. In other words, all that the Gospels record in regards to the life of Jesus places Jesus at the center as the object, we might say, of our faith. And the Gospels are written so that we might look to Christ and believe in Jesus Christ. But Paul, when he's writing in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 
23 uses faith more as the sense of a body of evidence or a body of truth, a statement of faith. So we have a document in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Faith there means a set of beliefs, doctrinal beliefs that, that we agree to, that we profess, that we are convicted of. But here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, we have somewhat of a different definition given of faith. Not that it's different in the sense of contradictory or we have different views here, but we have a different way of looking at faith. The author of Hebrews, as we have said on multiple occasions, is, is seeking to, to come to these Jewish believers who are, have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are being drawn back in some way, shape, form into Judaism once again. To leave, as it were, Christ behind and go back to where they came from. And he is seeking to say to them, that's not what faith is. Faith is not a, a going back. That's why we read 1039. We are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who go backwards. We are those who have faith. And then in the very next line, although for us it's separated by a chapter break, in the very next line we have, and this is what faith is. And, and you notice it's, it's more of a working type idea. It's, it's more of an act. Of faith. What is faith? Well, we could say, yes, it's this body of evidence. What is faith? Yes, we can say it's believing in Jesus Christ. But the author here is, is trying to say, it's something that doesn't just sit there. It's not something that just resides in one's mind. It is something that is continually in operation in the heart and life of God's people. So he defines it as the following. Faith is, here's one, the assurance of things hoped for. The word assurance here has as its Greek word, Hypostasis. The stasis part has to do with a steadiness, an assurance, a non-wavering. The hypo has to deal with the word under. Okay? You use it in medical terminology as well. But it's the idea of being under an agreement, under a truth, under a promise. Faith is being under the promises of God, 
under an agreement. Some authors, some commentators use the idea that that assurance as it's used here means that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have a title deed to glory. We're not in a negotiating stage. Think Think about it in terms of buying a piece of property that maybe you've always had your eye on. Uh, a piece of property that, that you've always wanted to own and to build. Maybe it's hunting land. Maybe it's a, a cabin. Maybe it's a cottage. Maybe it's just a nice locality over which you get a scenic view. Maybe it's next to a river or a stream. It's the place that you always have driven by and thought, that's what I want. But, but then it was, yeah, but I don't have it. The idea here of assurance is, no, you actually possess the title, the deed to that piece of property. We have in our possession the title deed of glory. It's ours. It's ours because of Christ. It's ours because Jesus Christ gave his life and shed his blood for you and I. That places in our hands. Not a, oh man, I, I, I really, it would really be nice someday to own that. Now it places in our hands that title deed. That is what assurance is. I have it. Glory is not a hope. Glory is a reality for you and I. That's what faith is. Faith isn't, well, maybe things will be better when I die. Maybe being with God will be better than living here. It's not that kind of wishful thinking. It is reality thinking. That's what faith is. That's what that word assurance means here in our text. So apply it to Paul's situation, excuse me, the writer's situation of addressing these Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism. And Paul is saying to them, we're not of those. We're not of those who shrink back. We're not of those who leave. We are those of faith. We have the assurance. We don't need the temple. We don't need blood sacrifices. We don't need animals. We don't need washings. We don't need all of those ceremonial laws in order to to perhaps gain the hope of glory. We are in possession of glory. I was kind of chuckling this week because, and, and maybe you've gotten this, little email that goes around as well that, that uh, I can own a piece of Mars. I, I can buy an acre on Mars, right? And, and if I send off some money, 
which probably means they're going to drain my bank account in some way, some form, shape, or fashion. I, I can get a, a title deed to Mars. I'm just saying, can you see, there's probably all sorts of people. Mars has probably been sold off, you know, multiple times. You're going to get there and go, I'm on my property, and somebody else is going to show up. Nope, this is my acre, right? People fall for that stuff. They do that sort of, oh, I'm going to own a piece of Mars, and I get a little sheet of paper that says I, I have it. Folks, we have glory, and it's a reality. It is a reality. Because it is the promise of God. But, note, faith is not only that assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. It means that we have proof. It means that we have been persuaded. Our faith is not blind. Our faith is not a, a leap into the dark. We as believers in Jesus Christ are not just, well, guess we're taking a chance on Christ. No, there are Proofs. And we are convicted of the proofs that God has given to us. Convicted of the promises of God. I know I use this a lot. Surprising how much I remember from these classes considering how poorly I did in them. Right? But, but you remember sitting in geometry class, and, and then we have all these proofs and we have these axioms and all that sort of stuff, okay? To, to, to come to a, a we, we have this hypothesis that now we have proofs and axioms for that prove the hypothesis. Well, for you and I, the hypothesis is no longer an hypothesis. It is a conviction. It is a conviction because God has supplied the proofs, not only in his word, but he has supplied the proof in his son. That's why Hebrews 1 began with that. We not only have the word of God, we have the word of God made even more sure in the coming of his son. The proofs have been given. Faith is the conviction of those proofs. Ours is a proved faith, not a blind faith. Ours is a faith that we hold to unflinchingly. Although not seen, the promises of God are believed because of the character of God himself. Our catechisms and our confessions define it in various ways. If you want, you can take out your 
hymn books once again, and we're going to go through a number of those. Page 927, for example, page 927 in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I'll read the second paragraph of that. It's chapter 14 of Saving Faith, page 927. The second paragraph. By this faith a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. For the authority of God himself speaking therein. And acteth differently upon that which every particular passage thereof containeth. Yielding obedience to the commands. Trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Notice how that comes back again as we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Go with me to page 974, 974, where we have in the shorter catechism the following. Page 974, it's question and answer 86, where we read, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation, as he's offered us in the gospel. Or perhaps the, the classic definition in the catechisms that are given to us is found back on page 875 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 875. Where we read the question, it's question and answer 21. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. It is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel. That God has freely granted not only to others but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace, only because of Christ's merit. So we turn secondly, where does this faith originate from? What is the origin of this assurance, this origin of this conviction? Well, the last couple of Wednesday nights, we've been journeying into Hinduism and Buddhism. Both of which tell us that that's found within. It's found within yourself. You have to come to the, that knowledge. You have to come to truth through your own self. You have to, as it were, create. You have to make your own reality. You have to form your own truth. Which is also the same lie that most school children are being taught in public education today. You form your own realities. You form your own truths. 
although we're going to try to tell you what that truth is. Not so for the believer. Not so for the Christian. It's not now, come on. Have a, get a little faith, would you? I, I can never tell someone. You can never tell me. Get some faith, will you? As if somehow or another, if I dig deep enough in my own heart, if I eat, dig deep enough in my own mind, my own psyche, somewhere or another, there resides this thing in a shell, and this thing in a shell is faith, and, and I've just got to figure out how to crack the shell so that faith can begin to erupt into my life. We're not Arminians. We don't think this resides in ourselves. We know what God has told us. We know God's word. We turn to Ephesians chapter 2 for that classic passage that reminds us, where does faith come from? Does it reside within myself? Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God gives faith. That's the origin. God grants faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not self-generated. Faith, this assurance, this conviction is God's gift to you. God's gift to me. He gave it to us out of sheer grace. Not because you and I deserved it any more than anyone else. That would be a denial that it is of grace. It is simply out of God's own being. Out of God's own mercy. Out of God's own love. Undeservingly. God grants to you and I faith. Assurance, a title deed to glory, written in the blood of Jesus Christ. He gives to us a conviction of the truth of his word, of the truth of Jesus Christ. A conviction. How? Because we've worked at it and we've attained it. We've gotten so many educational degrees that, that now we can do it. We can parse Greek verbs. We even know how to write Hebrew. Oh, that, yeah, that's what grants us faith. No, it's always a gift of God. God uses various means. God uses various ways in which that faith is then raised up within our lives. But it is always at its core, at its beginning. No shell, no nut hid deep within our human psyche. It is always that which God brings to us. Through the work of his Holy Spirit. God brings to you and I. Faith. 
How did the Heidelberg Catechism phrase it? Created in us by the Holy Spirit through his word. But then if you look back with me at Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews is saying, now let me give you, provide for you, faith, you ready? In action. I didn't hear a one of you, okay? Right? This has been our theme in infinity for the past two years, right? Faith in action. A few of you are catching on, okay? We'll get there. Faith is never just that which sits. Faith always has effects. And the effects are so united to the faith that you can't have the one without the other. You cannot have faith without the effects. You cannot have faith without the actions that accompany faith. They are inseparable. So that James will declare to us, faith without works is dead. What is the rest of Hebrews chapter 11? Is Hebrews chapter 11 a list of people and their educational degrees and that which they attain? Does Hebrews chapter 11 contain for us a list of people and that which they simply knew in their heads. Well, Lord willing, over the course of the next several weeks, as we continue in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that it's that which they knew, which then affects how they live. Because they know they live. Faith always has an effect upon our lives. Always has an effect upon the way we live. And so, yes, we have this heroes of faith. It's a strange term given some of the characters we find listed in this passage. But you know who else is there? You and I. You and I. And this morning is an opportunity for you and I to put faith into action. This morning is an opportunity for you and I to take that which we are assured of, that title deed to glory through the blood of Jesus Christ, and act upon it. It is an opportunity to take our conviction of God's truth presented in His Word, God's truth given to us in the person of His Son, and to put it into action. When we come to this table, this table is an act of faith. This is the effect. If we are assured, if we are convicted, then what do we do? We come. We come to this table. 
And what do we do at this table? We, there's actions. Did you, did you catch that in our reading? Do, do you hear that? Okay, when Paul recites it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or when we hear it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, what are we told? We're told to take something. We're told to take. We're not told to let it pass by. We are told to grab, to take a piece of bread. And we are told by Jesus, take it and eat it. We are told by Jesus to take the cup and we are told to drink it. By so doing, we do so in faith. Oh, sure we can do so ritualistically. Sure we can do it ceremonially. Sure we can do it peer pressure wise. Well, everybody else is doing it. I guess I better do it too. Sure we could do it as a hypocrite. Sure we could do it as an unrepentant sinner. That's not what it means to come to take and eat. Because we are also given these words. Now remember and believe. Put your faith, your conviction, your assurance into action. Take it. Eat it, take it, drink it. Now, if you listen to that responsive reading, what it's saying is this. When I take that piece of bread, as surely as I hold it in my hand, as surely as I see it with my eyes, as surely... As I smell it, as surely as I taste it. Remember, believe. See, here's the proof. The proof is what I hold in my hand. Right? I don't think any one of us would say, I'm on some sort of this morning. I'm on some sort of outer body experience and, and I'm sort of hallucinating things. This is reality, isn't it? This is a real piece of bread. As surely as I hold in my hand, as surely as I taste in my mouth, so surely I hold the title deed to glory. Because of the broken body. Of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As surely. As I take a cup. Smell it. Taste it. See. 
as surely as the reality of this cup is before me. I am convicted. That Christ died. For all my sin. I am convicted. That Jesus. Loves. Me. Let's pray. Father thank you. For your word for its reminder today of faith and for the opportunity to now put faith, our assurance, our conviction into action. Lord, may our celebration of this table this morning as we come, as we participate in faith, nourish us and strengthen us for this week that Christ might be glorified in us and all God's people say, Amen.